Welcome to Creekside Church. Uh, we're glad for everyone that can join us, both online and in person. Just a few announcements and reminders. Uh, tonight, there will be an opportunity for an outdoor worship. Uh, that's it from 6.45 to 7.45 p.m. So walk around the, the building uh, over to the, the area over there. Um, so 6.45 to 7.45 tonight. A few more reminders. Fall ministries are coming, and uh, there's various things, opportunities for people to be involved. I'm just going to list out a few things that are going on uh, where we can use some more help. Uh, one is that they need Sunday school helpers. So if you have a passion uh, for working with youth and you're interested in doing that on Sunday mornings, please talk to Debbie Shore. I don't see her. Oh, she's, she's back working with the kids, yeah. Um, talk to Debbie Shore if you're interested in that, um, and she can give you some more information and, and just kind of tell you what, what the needs are. Also, I'm sure that they can use some more Awana helpers. Awana is going to look a little different this year. Um, there's going to be uh, chances for kids to say their verses over FaceTime, and there's going to be some online lessons. So that's at least through the first semester. We're, we're not sure what it looks like after that. Our hope is that we can return to, to a more in-person in uh, format in the second half of, of the academic year. And then just a, another reminder is that uh, junior and senior high youth group is going to be starting up officially on September 16th. So if you're in the junior high or high school age group, just uh, kind of keep that date in mind. We'll have some more information coming out for you uh, very soon on that. All right. So with that, I guess, Steve, go ahead and come on up. Thanks, Alan. Uh, if you're Sunday school age, uh, you are free to leave right now. You can be dismissed and make your way to your classes. And uh, parents, they'll, Lord willing, they'll come back when they're supposed to uh, sometime before you're ready to leave today. Good to have you worshiping with us. Welcome to our online worshipers as well. I uh, wanted to uh, encourage you uh, this morning with a, a thought. I was thinking about um, two things. First of all, there is a, a groom's breakfast, so uh, it's going to be a wedding here uh, later in October, but uh, Aaron and, and Brooke are going to get married, so there's a groom's breakfast. The, they have bridal showers, and so here at Creekside, we have groom's breakfast next Saturday. So you talk to Ryan Carter if you'd like to come and eat breakfast and uh, give a pearl of wisdom to Aaron, who is the, the groom-to-be, and that would, be, that would be great. Also, I just want to put a plug in for tonight's service. I think the service will be, the idea is to set up on the playground, on the concrete, and there'll be an awning and things, and then you can distance out into the grass and whatever, so the, some of our younger guys are organizing that, and so you just come a little bit early and you'll get situated and acclimated. So hopefully we'll be able to encourage some of our folks who maybe were not able to, to be here uh, during, uh, you know, don't feel comfortable coming yet. And that's another thing I wanted to say, uh, that uh, the Lord calls us to be devoted to one another in brotherly love and give preference to one another in honor. And so during all this COVID stuff, it's been kind of odd, you know, uh, some people have a, a higher comfort level and some have a lower comfort level of whether they're going to be willing to uh, attend and be with us and other people have issues with regard to their health or their age and some people have work with um, medical field and so they have to be concerned about who they're around and whether they're around people. And so I just ask us all to just take a deep breath and uh, not to, to immediately jump to some judgmental attitude and a holier-than-thou perspective that somehow because we do it this way personally or feel this way personally, that somehow we have the answer. 
Uh, but let's just uh, be the body of Christ and love each other and pray for each other and encourage each other through these uh, difficult, difficult times, all right? Just want to encourage you. If you happen to be worshiping with us, uh, not online, if you're happening to be worshiping with us online for the first time, that's great. Go to our website and uh, try to connect with us there. If you're here in person, I'd appreciate if you'd stop by the Welcome Center. And you can pick up a little registration card, uh, sign it there so we can get to know you and put it in the box. That'd be great. Uh, we do have some uh, of the sermons that are translated there uh, for those who are real comfortable yet with the English language. So there's some translations of the service and also our Creekside News. So if you want to pick that up, uh, if you could do that, that'd be great. I'd like you to join me in prayer and we'll continue to worship through the study of the word. Father. Uh, we come in the name of Jesus, a strong and mighty tower. And I thank you for Solomon who wrote in Proverbs, the, the, uh, the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are saved. And I pray that you would work in our hearts in these troubling times uh, to find our rescue and our rest and our salvation in Christ. Open your word to us, guide us as we study it, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In 2009, uh, Michael Jordan was inducted into the NBA Hall of Fame. Michael Jordan is one of seven players, only seven players, one of only seven players to win an NCAA championship, an NBA championship, and a gold medal in the Olympic Games. In fact, in eight years with the Chicago Bulls, he led them to six NBA titles. And with each successive win of an NBA title, his worldwide fame increased and Jordan mania ensued. In the same way that Michael Jordan established his worldwide credibility, authority, and his fame as a basketball player with each successive NBA title, the Lord Jesus Christ, with each successive series of miraculous events recorded in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, established His divine authority, established and confirmed His identity as the Messiah, called people into a relationship and into God's family, provided comfort for every person who is a child of God and compels everyone who is a child of God to be all in for Jesus, as we talked about last week. You see, when God set this whole thing in motion, we sinned against God, and God set about to present and provide a king a king who would reverse the effects of the fall, would conquer sin and death, and would restore us into right relationship with himself. And we've seen in Matthew chapter 8, the first series of miraculous events in which Jesus demonstrated his authority over disease and disability and demons. And then on top of that, he went on to show his power over storms and over Satan. And then in Matthew chapter 9, the first few verses over sin itself. All the while establishing his credibility and his authority and his mastery over sin and death and the devil and proving he's the king. I like what John MacArthur says, that Jesus' miracles were the verification of his divine might, which would he would reveal someday to reverse the curse and to restore righteousness, harmony, and peace in all of his creation. Through his astounding victory, or, uh, miracles, Jesus gives us a taste of the victory that one day will be fully realized as believers are in glory. But to his already impressive resume of miraculous events, we come to yet the final series of miracles in Matthew chapters 8 and 9, in which Jesus here confirms his power and his authority over death, over disease, 
over disability, and then over, over demons. It's a kind of a, a taste of what will fully be realized when the prophet Isaiah mentioned it in Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 and 6. He says, then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears will, of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. It's a taste of it. And so we come to Matthew chapter 9, verses 18 through 34. And here we find four powerful demonstrations of Jesus' authority, which, you know, I say it this way, but I hope you meditate and think about it, that confirms who he is. That, that call those who are outside of the family to think, whoa, this guy is for real, and calls us into his family. Provides comfort to those of us who are on the spiritual journey and finally gives us a compulsion to, to live for him fully. So I'm in Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 18. And since we, uh, I'm going to read it and I ask you to follow along, so have your device, have your Bible, uh, read along with me if you will. Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 18. While he was saying these things to them, behold, there came a synagogue official and bowed down before him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. And Jesus rose and began to follow him, and so did his disciples. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for twelve years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak. For she was saying to herself, If I only touch his garment, I shall get well. But Jesus, turning and seeing her, said, Daughter, take courage. Your faith has made you well. And at once the woman was made well. And when Jesus came into the official's house and saw the flute players and the crowd in noisy disorder, he began to say, Depart, for the girl has not died but is asleep. And they began laughing at him. But when the crowd had been put out. He entered and took her by the hand, and the girl arose, and this news went out into all the land, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying out, saying, Have mercy on us, son of David. And after he had come into the house, the blind men came up to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I'm able to do this? And they said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, Be it done to you according to your faith. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, saying, See here, let no one know about this. But they went out and spread the news about him in all the land. And as they were going out, behold, the dumb man, demon-possessed, was brought to him. And after the demon was cast out, the dumb man spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, Nothing like this has ever, was ever seen in Israel. But the Pharisees were saying, he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Four, four different demonstrations of Jesus' authority. The first that we see that proves his identity and, and, and does all those things which I mentioned before is his authority over death. While he was saying these things to them, the text begins, while he was saying what things to them? The things that we have recorded in Matthew chapter 9, verses 11 through 17. Those things where Jesus said, I came to save those who are aware that they're sick spiritually and that repent and turn. I came to teach you about the incompatibility of the ritual righteousness that the Pharisees are interested in with kingdom righteousness. That's the wineskins and the old cloth and the new cloth thing, okay? So while he was saying these things to them, he, he's, he's leaving. Behold, there came a synagogue official. A synagogue official. Mark and Luke and their gospel accounts tell us this guy's name is Jairus, okay? Jairus, the synagogue official. And he was well aware as a synagogue official of what Jesus had been doing. He knew probably that Jesus had healed the leper. Remember Jesus said, go and tell the priest what, what has happened to you. In Matthew chapter 8, uh, first part of Matthew chapter 8. Probably aware that Jesus had healed this centurion slave. Also in Matthew chapter 8. Also very cognizant of the fact that coming to Jesus would put him at odds with the other religious leaders and teachers of the day. 
He would be ostracized. He would be criticized. He would be rejected by them. But never mind. And interesting to me is the contrast between his status and his wealth and that of the woman that we're going to see in a few moments. Her poverty and her ostracism from the community. And yet both of them shared this thing. They're both desperately in need of God to do something in their life. And both of them believed that Jesus alone was the one who was fully capable of handling the circumstance. And this man knew in his heart that Jesus was the only solution to his daughter's death. If I were to ask you, what one medical clinic would you go to if you could only go to one medical clinic in the entire world to solve your most difficult health issue or to consult on it? My guess is that most people would say the Mayo Clinic. Why? Because of the results. Because of the results. I had a man sitting across from me in a waiting room at Mayo Clinic one time, and he says, this place added 15 years to my life. Well, I mean, you know, that's a humanistic perspective, right? Uh, He doesn't have a breath unless God gives him a breath, but we understand the point. So here, this person knew that Jesus was the, the one. And there are two keys that unlock Jesus' power. First of all, his humility. We see in verse 18 that he bowed down before him. He prostrated himself. He knelt before Jesus. His humility, he came and understood that Jesus is the one to submit to. It's funny to me, but it's not, uh, shouldn't be, but in, in Revelation chapter 19, verse 10, we, is one of the passages in Scripture that we're told that we bow and we kneel only to God. We, we worship God. This is an expression of worship. Then he fell at the, his feet to worship, but he, the angel, said to, to me, John, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. We kneel before Almighty God only. And he did. Then we see his faith. End of verse 18. My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus, all you have to do is touch her. Just come and touch her and I'm convinced that she will live. His ability to, his belief that Jesus had the ability to raise, that's astounding. This just wasn't happening. But he believed that Jesus would be able to, it's a testimony of his faith in Jesus' powerful, merciful, and loving word. All he had to do was touch, heal. It's a testimony of his faith in who Jesus is. Only those who see their need And believe that Jesus can meet their need. Will seek his help. I remember several years ago. Charlene had gone to the doctor. And Charlene came home very distraught. Because a spot had been found. And it was cancerous. And she was going to have to go in for a follow-up appointment. To decide what they're going to do. And how they're going to treat it. So we began to pray and we prayed and we said Lord we we pray we ask you to bring healing to Charlene we we pray that you'd comfort her and her family as they receive this diagnosis she went back to the doctor and the spot was gone it wasn't because of our zealousness in prayer it was because of our expression of faith it was because of the extent of God's power he's able to do this And the synagogue official understood that. And he came in faith to Jesus. And now there's several details in the text that I think personalize the story and demonstrate Jesus' power. First of all, we see that uh, of Jesus' compassion. Look at verse 19. And Jesus arose and began to follow him. I like that. You see, as we talk about Jesus' authority and his 
power and ministry. Let's not miss his personal heart of compassion for these people. And you know what? He feels the same about us. He cares. He sees. He knows. He got up to follow him. Oh, he comes to Jesus and he says, come, all you got to do is, is touch her hand and I know that she'll, she'll rise from the dead. And so Jesus got up. Didn't say he said anything. He just said he got up and he started to follow. Now, the journey to Jairus' home was interrupted by the story we're going to get to in a few moments. So there's this woman that comes with an issue of blood interrupting the story and delaying Jesus. So do you, can you imagine here the synagogue official? He just said to Jesus, let's go and you can touch my daughter and she'll rise from the dead. And now Jesus is stopping to talk to somebody else. Come on, Jesus. I mean, let's get with the program here. Come on. No. Heighten the anticipation. But the text skips over, and I'm going to skip over to, to verse 23, when he arrives, okay? So we see, first of all, his compassion. And then in verse 23, we see the commotion. <laughs> Flute players and, and loud lamenting, and it says noisy disorder. <laughs> I mean, it was chaotic. Because it was very typical in those days that they would actually hire flute players, and they would hire people to cry and mourn and wail. So Jesus showed up. But their wailing and their flute playing confirms that she's dead. This is not a, it's not a guess. This is the real thing. She's, she's actually passed away. Then we see the comedy in it because Jesus walks in and I'm in verse 24. And he began to say, depart. Who's he saying this to? He's saying this to the flute players and the mourners. Depart, leave. Well, that was totally unexpected because they were expected to be there. And actually, they were required to do this lamenting and mourning for a certain period of time. So it's like, leave? No. And then he explains it. You're supposed to leave. Why are they supposed to leave? For the girl has not died, but she's asleep. Now, you go, well, what does that mean? Well, if she hasn't died, I thought she's died. You just said she's died because they got these people that are mourning there. Yeah, Jesus knew she died. But he said she was asleep. Because he uses the term asleep in reference to death that's not permanent. Death that is not final. It's the same thing he described and said in John chapter 11 with re reference to Lazarus. Well, he's not dead. He's just asleep. Well, if he's asleep, he'll wake up, his disciples said. No, no, we got to go there. Jesus is like, oh, you guys are a little dull. So we'll get this. So he, he walked in. He's asleep. And the mocking, they mocked him. They laughed at him. They thought that was a joke. And the reason, and their mocking demonstrates their conviction that she really was dead. And then we see the coming of her spirit in verse 25. But when the crowd had been put out, he entered and took her hand, took her by the hand. Now, Jesus entered. If we went into the other Gospels, especially Luke chapter 8, verse 51, we find out that Jesus, her parents, Peter, James, and John all went in, okay? All of those went in. And then it says he touched her hand. You can just write this down if you want. You don't have to, but Numbers chapter 19, verses 11, 13. To touch a dead person was the extreme investment of uncleanness. You couldn't be any more unclean than if you touched a dead person. You would have to be banned and isolated for seven days from the rest of, of society. He took her hand. But here's, and she said, he said, Talitha kum, which means little girl, arise. And the girl arose. Instead of being contaminated, instead of Jesus being contaminated, this little girl was liberated. She was raised from the dead. It's just the opposite of what they thought was going to happen. And I, I wrote in my notes, I said, don't let the simplicity of what happened here eclipsed the profundity, the, the profound nature of what happened. See, death is our worst enemy. And death that brings the pain of loss is a horrific thing. And yet, so when Jesus liberates this little girl from death, he spares the family from the deepest sorrow. A little girl, 12 years old, little girl. She passed away. 
And he gives us a taste of what permanent liberation from death and pain and sorrow is. Ah, but that deliverance is only available to those who put their trust or their faith in Jesus Christ as the one who rose from the dead. You see, the only reason that Jesus can raise us from the dead is because he rose, raised himself from the dead. He has power to conquer sin and death. Romans chapter 4 verse 25 says he was delivered up on account of our transgressions and he was raised in order to bring about our justification. It says the word there says because of, I translate it in order to bring about our justification. Okay, it's a legitimate translation. Christ died for sin, 1 Peter 3.18. Once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having but put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. He who believes in me will live even if he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Eternal life begins the moment we put our faith or our trust in Christ. Yes, this physical body will die, but our spirit goes to be with the Lord. Life in Christ is available only if we trust in Jesus. And this guy trusted in Jesus that he could raise this little girl. And when he raised this little girl, he gave the glimpse of what was coming. I like the story about G.B. Hardy. He's a Canadian scientist. And he said, one, uh, he had two questions concerning religion. He says, one, has anyone ever conquered death? And two, if they have, did they make a way for me to conquer death? And here's what he goes on to say. I checked the tomb of Buddha, and it was occupied. I checked the tomb of Confucius, and it too was occupied. I checked the tomb of Muhammad, and it was occupied. And I came to the tomb of Jesus, and it was empty. And I said, there's someone who's conquered death. And I asked the second question, did he make a way for me to do it too? And I opened my Bible and discovered that he said, because I live, you shall live also. Jesus made a way. Not only did he conquer death, but he made a way for us to conquer death. He overcame the chief enemy of death. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul makes this case that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then we are still in our sins and we are of all men most to be pitied. And then he brings us to this conclusion in verse 20, but Christ, now Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who are asleep. Notice the word asleep. Not permanent death. They're going to be raised again. He's the first fruits of those who are asleep. And then we have Paul going on in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. He says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory. Victory what? Over sin and death and the devil through our Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, are you trusting in this Jesus and his death alone as the payment for your sin? And you know that you have eternal life. That he will raise you from physical death to be with him forever. If you don't, I, I, I can't challenge you enough to trust in Christ today. And the final statement here has, is a comment in verse 26. And this news went out into all the land. Well, can you imagine? I mean, somebody raised this little girl from the dead. I want to show you this picture. We, two years ago, some of you remember the story about these boys from Thailand that were stuck in this cave, right? So this is a picture like two years later, okay? They were rescued, and the whole world knew it. I mean, you know, with social media nowadays, it's just like this and, and things. Jesus raised this girl from the dead. The news spread rapidly. Jesus has authority over death. Physical death and spiritual death. Jesus has authority over disease. Now we back up to verse 20. And behold, a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage. She was bleeding. And there's three, three facts that uh, emphasize his authority. First of all, the extent of her disease. For 12 years. For 12 years. Can you imagine for 12 years? I mean, this woman was probably severely anemic. And they didn't have iron therapy back then. You know? Oh, eat a little bit more red meat, honey, and you'll be better. 
No. She was physically drained. She was financially destitute. We see from Mark chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, that she had spent everything at the hands of physicians and others trying to get relief and help. She was socially and spiritually unclean. Therefore, she was put out of the, she was cut off from family, from the community, probably so that she wouldn't contaminate them. That's Leviticus, the Old Testament law. Don't get near that person. The, the stigma and the hardship she suffered was comparable to a leper. She probably was, if she was married, she was probably divorced because of this issue or else she was never able to get married because of it. She was alone. See the extent of her faith. The extent of the woman's faith. Secretly, she text says, secretly. Verse 20. And she came up behind Jesus and she touched the fringe of the cloak, you know, the bottom of his, of his, his garments. Thinking to herself, if I just touch it, I'll get well. Her touch... Again, she's a leper, she's an unclean person. Her touch should have contaminated Jesus, but what it did was it transferred his cleanness to her. It's a marvelous thing. She became clean. She was made well. She was touched. And so Jesus looked around and he found her and he said, you know, woman, your, your faith has made you well. Daughter, your faith has made you well. What do we believe God to do? What do you have faith that God will do in our lives? Where, where do we need Him to work? Where do we want Him to work? One of the most heartwarming stories I ever heard was a story told by Doris Eckblad. She was a missionary uh, to Taiwan, but... Uh, when she was a child, she grew up as a missionary overseas in Southeast Asia. And one warm summer day in Southeast Asia, she and her brother were talking and they said, you know, we'd really love some homemade ice cream. Now we're talking, I mean, Doris was old when I knew her, so she, this was a long time ago, okay? This was prior to refrigeration. They didn't have refrigeration over there and everything. And they, they, they said, we, would, we just want to make some homemade ice cream. And so they said, Lord, they prayed. They said, we're going to pray about it. So they said, Lord, we just, would you please make it possible for us to have some homemade ice cream? Within a short period of time, this huge thunderstorm rolled through and dropped hail onto the ground so that they had ice. They already had milk and eggs and sugar. They just needed some ice. And God provided the ice. What do we believe God for? What is it right now? Do you, you know someone that you would desperately long to come to know Christ? Is there somebody that you need courage to forgive? Is there people in our lives, you know, young people, you know, you want to get married someday? Well, pray. You know? What do we have faith that we need God to do? And her desperate condition fueled her faith. Where are we desperately needing God to work? Finally, we see the extent of the woman's healing. Jesus perceived that power had gone out of him, you know. And he turned around and, and Luke 8, 44 tells us that she was healed immediately. I mean, the text is kind of like it seems like she wasn't healed until Jesus said, your, your faith has made you well. But actually, she was healed as as soon as she touched his garments, she was healed. And your faith has made you well. Three times the word well is used in verses 21 and 22. And those, that word is often translated as saved from sin. Luke chapter 7, verse 50. The, the woman who was washing Jesus with her hair and her tears and Simon's house was saved from her sin. Her sins were forgiven. That's often how that term is used. And then you notice, if, if you will, in verse 22, he says, daughter. Why did he call her daughter? 
Now look across the page at Matthew chapter 9, verse 2. Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. My daughter, your faith has made you well. This is a term of endearment, of inclusion in the family of God. I believe that he was saying that her faith was not just in his ability to heal her physical problem, but her spiritual condition. And she was saved not just from this issue of blood, but by the blood of Christ from her sins. He had the ability to heal and forgive her sins. Now, you know, the thing is, many, many people come in contact with Jesus. We, we hear about Jesus. I know some people less and less today hear about Jesus. But even we, we hear about Jesus, but we come in contact with Jesus, but are we converted? Are we changed by Jesus? We can come in contact with him. What about you? Simple contact? I know about Jesus. I've heard about him. I understand him. But are you really saved? Are you really converted? That's the question. You see, Jesus proves here that the one who can handle the consequences of sin, because this hemorrhage is a consequence of sin, disability, deformity, demon possession, discouragement, depression, all that is a symptom of sin. And if Jesus can take care of the symptoms, then he can take care of the cause. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that the old self has been crucified, that the body of sin has been destroyed, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We can live a resurrected life in Christ. Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over disease. He has authority over disability. Jesus got done healing this woman. And in verse 27, as Jesus passed on from there, two blind guys fall. Can you imagine this? Like boom, 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 boom. Jesus, can you heal my, raise my daughter from the dead? Yeah, I'm on my way to raise the daughter from the dead. Oh, hey, by the way, can you heal this woman who's got a blind, uh, hemorrhage? Oh, yeah, now we've got a blind, couple blind guys. Can you take care of our blindness? And again, these, these two keys that unlock it are, are their humility. They came to Jesus. Verse 27, they passed on from there, and two blind men followed him, crying out. Crying out. They wanted to get his attention. Several years ago, Marla and I were conducting a, a small group Bible study in our home. And we're right in the middle of the small group, and all of a sudden, we hear from the upstairs, our daughter, crying out, Help! 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 The toilet's overflowing! Help! Help! You know, Barbara Johnson says, Still water runs deep when the toilet overflows. I mind you, it's an upstairs toilet. So by the time I got up there, the water had all leached down through the floor. Now it was dripping on the dining room table. That's great small group stuff, you know. Help, help. These guys, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They were screaming intensely at the Savior that he would extend the Messiah, that he would extend his forgiving mercy to them. Somehow their blindness was linked to some some sin perhaps, but they, they knew that they were sinful people. They didn't deserve his forgiving mercy. Just like me, when I came home late one night from a curfew, I broke curfew and I begged my mom not to punish me. You know, Pleaded with my mom for mercy. They're pleading with him for mercy. And the faith that they had in the person of Jesus, notice if you will, in verse 27, have mercy on us and who do they address Jesus as? Son of David. Son of David. He's the Messiah. He's the King. He is the Lord. They acknowledged Him as the Messiah. Their faith. They recognized Him as the Messiah and sought deliverance, not just from their physical blindness, but from their spiritual blindness. 
save us from our sin. There's, their faith is evidenced in three ways. First, you see their confession at the end of verse 28. Um, do you believe that I am able to do this? Jesus asked them. And they said, yes, Lord. Think about that. Yes, Lord. What's that tell us? It tells me that they feared him as master, Lord. And they had faith in him as the Messiah. Yes, Lord. We, we, we believe. We will. We do. We trust you. Do you believe? Yes, Lord. And that's what the text tells you and me. Do you believe? In Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Same as them. Then we see the command of Jesus. He says, be it done to you according to your faith. Do you know that faith is the, that which is the key that unlocks God's forgiveness? It's the key. They demonstrated faith. What I see in these blind men is the, the model for what it is to be forgiven. How, how do we experience God's forgiveness? Well, first of all, we have to be aware that we are in need of his mercy. Which means we have to know that we're sinful. We have to know that our life is living in a way that's contrary to God and that we deserve his judgment, his punishment because of that. Next, we have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, son of David, able to save us from our sin. Then we have to ask for his mercy. (laughs) Have mercy, Lord. And then we trust in Jesus as our Savior. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. We have to believe. Do you believe? I mean, do you really believe? Have you come in contact with Jesus, or have you been converted by the power of the Spirit of God? Have you been moved from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight? Jesus is the only one that can make that transfer. You put your trust or your faith in him. Now, then you see the consequence of his faith. They're healed. Blindness gone. Then he says, don't tell anybody. I love that. All through the scripture, you see that. Jesus casting out demons. Yeah, just keep your mouth shut. Uh, don't, don't say anything to me. Don't say. Why? Because he didn't want his miracles to eclipse his message. Because the primary reason Jesus came was not for the miracles. He came for the message. The miracles only confirm that he's able to bring the message and deliver on the promise. And he probably didn't want the Romans thinking he was some kind of a subversive, you know, you know just, just keep it down with them. Now, some of you are on social media, right? How many, how many Facebook posts do parents make with reference to their children? Or grandparents make with reference to their grandchildren? I mean, it's all the time. They can't keep their mouth shut. Right? When something like this happened, they couldn't keep their mouth shut. You can tell me Jesus don't say, I'm, I'm going to tell about Jesus. Do we tell people about what Jesus does for us? You see, Jesus has authority over death. He has authority over disease. He has authority over disability. And finally, we see he has authority over demons. And this authority is evident in, first of all, the response of the man. So Jesus is leaving these two disciples, or these two blind men, home their home, and then he's followed by uh, uh, some demon-possessed guy is brought to him. Now, he's dumb, I think, because of his demon possession. The demon possession, the impact of that is he couldn't talk, okay? When I say dumb, I don't mean intellectually challenged, okay? It means mute. He couldn't talk, okay? So they bring him to him, and in verse 33, it says, and after the demon was cast out, Wait a second. Didn't say anything about it. Just said they brought the guy, the demons cast out. Proof that Jesus is authoritative is the fact that the guy could talk now. The demon's gone. Jesus did it. He can talk now. And then we see the reaction of the others. Now, two reactions. The multitude was marveling. Wow. Never seen anything like this in all of Israel. Reminds us of what was said in chapter 7, verse 28. They marveled at his teaching. And also in chapter 8, when he stilled the storm, the disciples are like, whoa, who is this guy? Then even the winds and the waves obey him. They're marveling at who Jesus is. But their marveling acknowledges that he is authoritative, but it doesn't mean that they really care. <laughs> They're just kind of awed. 
And we can be awed by Jesus, but not changed by Jesus. And that's the danger. We don't want to do that. I remember with our children, we were at Epcot Center. And I'll never forget this. There were these acrobats and these young girls. And they were, they were like contorting themselves into these positions that the human body ought not to be contorted into. I mean, it was just, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was astonishing. What's even more astonishing that Jesus Christ cares enough about people to heal their diseases, to raise the dead, cast out demons, heal our blindness. He is a gracious and loving God. Now, the crowd marveled, but the Pharisees, they maligned him. Oh, he's just casting out demons by the ruler of the demons. But notice what? They didn't deny that he cast out the demons. So he does have authority. So the question is, does his authority come from God or from Satan? Because he has authority, he can't deny that. And let me tell you, that the authority of the Son of God is divine and not demonic. He is our ally and not our adversary if we are His children. If we are not His children, then we stand to be judged. But that's not His preference. That's not His desire. That's not His want for us. His want is that we would become His children. You see, when Michael Jordan won six NBA titles, I mean, he led his team. He didn't do it by himself, but he led his team to six NBA titles. He gained fame and a following. And Jesus, our Savior, has mastery, authority, and power over death, over disease, over disability, over demons, over storms, over sin, fame and a following. He's deserving of our following. And I ask you this morning, is there someone who has conquered death? Yes. Does he make a way for me to have victory over death? Yes. For you? Yes. So I ask you this morning, are you hostile toward Jesus? Are you kind of like happy only when people are not making you feel bad because of your wickedness and your evil? You're not one of God's children. But God wants you to be. All you need to do is be aware that you are a messed up person rebelling against God. Acknowledge who Jesus is as your Savior. Ask Him for mercy and trust His death on the cross as the payment for your sins. And you too will be one of His children. And there's nothing more important that I could invite you to do than to do that right now. Don't wait. Be sold out for Christ. For Christ's sake. And if you know Christ, what about it? Are we really surrendered to Him? I mean, I've been thinking about this. I was thinking, do I pray in faith? Do I have anything near the kind of faith that the people that are in this passage exhibit? What is it that I want God desperately to do? Do I want Him to bring revival? Do I want Him to change the hearts of men and women to be more Christ-like? Do I have neighbors that need to know Christ? Yes, I do. Will I stand in His power? See, I said it comforts us, right? If we're believers, then we have been given the power, the resurrection power. You can read Ephesians chapter uh, 1 at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. We have been given this power, uh, or Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Through the power that raised Jesus from the dead, he says. Do we stand in his power? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live in, in, by faith in the Son of God died and rose again on my behalf. Power. There's nothing that shall separate us from the love of God. We're in Christ Jesus. We have that power. Do we share Christ boldly? 
man, I'm, I mess up too often. I'm not as bold as I ought to be. And do we serve Christ willingly? You know, Al said there's some needs for some service and ministry. Even during COVID, we, we can actually serve Jesus. So let's, what is it? You know, maybe it's a wanna, maybe it's not. Maybe it's Sunday school, maybe it's not. Maybe it's calling people on the phone. Maybe it's praying for people. Maybe it's bringing over some meals. Or you're just going by and honking the horn or calling somebody up and saying, I'm driving by, we're doing a wave, you know, we're going to say hi. You know, maybe it's just coming over, sitting out in the yard and talking. Love people. See, Jesus' compassion and embrace of human frailty and his exercise of his divine authority to alleviate pain, gives us a picture of what it will be like in glory. Ultimately, we'll be free from all that. And it's all made possible through what Jesus did on the cross at Calvary. And that's what we remember when we break the bread and take the cup is what Jesus made available for us. That's the forgiveness of sins, the elimination, ultimately, of the effects of the fall through those who are his children. And so if you're this morning and you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to take some time as the praise team comes, as they play this first song, and just reflect on what Jesus did. Let those who don't know Jesus receive him as their Savior. And let those of us who know Jesus remember and rest in what he's done for us. And so I give you a little hint, you know, the, the, the cups that are on your, uh, if you're here this morning at the sanctuary, the cups that are on your chair, there's a little, two flaps, the, the top one peels back and you can get the bread, and the bottom one peels back and you can get the, the cup. Now the bread doesn't taste very good, but hey, that's alright, so just, uh, just take it and uh, do it with the right heart for God, okay? But do it as you feel led. And if you're here this morning and you know Jesus, you're invited to partake of, of these elements. It's not our table, it's the Lord's table. Let me pray. Father, I just thank you. Uh, thank you for Jesus and uh, that his demonstrations of power and authority are not just uh, a power trip. They prove uh, your identity, Lord Jesus. But they, they call us to join your family. They, they comfort us as those who are in your family with the knowledge that we can go to with the powerful God of the universe to help and assist in our time of need. And that we have a God who's real, that we serve, that we should be all in for Christ. And I pray now, Lord, as we take some time to reflect on what you've done, that we just be encouraged uh, to do this in remembrance of you. We pray in Jesus' name.